Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Howland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and today we are continuing our intimacy series by Dr. Kevin Shelby with a look at knowing your family. And so we've talked about a few weeks now on a different knowledge of different relationships, knowing ourselves, knowing our spouse today, knowing our family. Um, and intimacy is about the knowledge of the people in our lives that are most important. We also talked about knowing your God. Um, and in those four relationships, the more intimate we are depends upon how well we know the other. And uh, I know Kevin will do a wonderful job. Again, he is a teacher and also a therapist, and uh, he has a lot of words of wisdom to share with us. So let's go to Kevin Shelby right now. You got me? Sweet pair. Is it turned on? Yeah. Awesome. Did you say a sweet pair? Thanks for having me again. Um, that's just going to have to hang. It's going to have to look funny. Uh, okay, so... Good morning. morning. It's pretty rainy outside. Um, We are continuing our discussion on uh, intimacy and particularly talking about intimacy and family this morning. So the last time I was here, I talked about intimacy, knowing yourself. This is intimacy, knowing your family. And um, I just want to, you know, kind of start by recapping a little bit. I don't know. I see a lot of new faces in the crowd from the last time I was here. So that's probably going to help you kind of get on the same page with me about what we mean when we talk about intimacy. So when I when I refer to intimacy, um, what I'm referring to is a very simple phrase, knowing and being known. Okay. so the idea of intimacy is that I know you in relationship and you know me in relationship. Now, Knowing is where we kind of have to dig in a little deeper to talk about how is it that you know somebody and how is it that you're known by somebody. Um, the last time I was here, I drew a, a diagram, and I'm going I'm to draw that up on the board in just a second. But I think the important thing that I want to put as sort of a, an overlay or an overview of this whole conversation is that we are having a discussion about this because the greatest gift that we can give to somebody else is allowing them to know who we are, right? Now, that doesn't mean that everybody should get that gift, but it is the greatest gift that we as human beings have to offer each other. And so we're going to talk about how that plays into family. So here's the diagram that I, that I drew up on the board. Is it okay if I erase this? Okay. And I think, I think Bill, last week, uh, you put this on the board too, right? We put it on the board and we hand out, had a little handout. Oh, great. So everybody's very familiar with this. That's not going to work. Okay, so if you remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I'm going to come back to this, but, but this represents the core. The next layer is our attitudes and our beliefs. And then this outer layer here is characterized by our behavior, which 
A lot of times people will say this is the expression of self, which I agree with in the right context. I'll come back to that. Okay. So this is kind of, this is kind of the, the layers of how people experience who we are. It first is it initiates with behavior. We relate to each other. We have this context of relationship that has to do with I'm kind of I'm kind of letting you know you know who I am. I'm I'm trying to show you that I care about you right through how I behave towards you. And then it goes a little a, a step further. The deeper we get into relationships, we get into our attitudes and our beliefs about things. The last time I talked, I mentioned politics, right? So politics might fall on this level. And a lot of people stop at this level, right? A lot of people stop with, with, with the expression of self being, this is what I believe about this particular religious issue, or this is what I think about Donald Trump, or this is how I think the game of golf should be played. This is what I think about um, the Tennessee Vols. Right? This is what I think about their new head coach. Hey, can I make a quick announcement before you start talking about the Tennessee Vols? Because <laughs> you don't know anything about the Tennessee Vols. Okay. Are you doing your sex talk? No. This is oh, the intimacy, intimacy, right? Right. Intimacy. Are you going to tell them about... Oh, okay. No matter. What are you talking about? This is not planned. <laughs> this guy's a sex guru. <laughs> is this that class? No, this is intimacy. That's what, I'm being podcasted right, right what now. A, what a, <laughs> I'm an important person. I'm being podcasted. You better hurry up. Really? Go ahead. Yes. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I got a quick announcement. I'll make this real quick. Uh, Friend Speak is a program at Howland that we've been doing for six or seven years. I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, Kevin. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's okay. I've been running around trying to announce this. <laughs> Uh, we've been doing this program for six or seven years. It's where we teach people. We got some French speakers in here. Um, it's where we teach people English through the Bible. So about 45 minutes each Wednesday night, we um, read an expert excerpt from Luke or another chapter or another book in the Bible with somebody that's looking to improve their English speaking skills, okay? Um, you're matched one-on-one -on -one with somebody and what we're doing, so this program's been going on, right? And what we're doing is we're trying to expand it to Hope Works. And do y'all do reach groups in here still? No, yes? Yeah. Marriage sort of. groups. Marriage groups, okay. <laughs> y'all are always different. Very, very cool. Uh, and what we're asking, you can sign up as individuals or sign up as a group. And what we're asking groups or individuals to commit to is doing this one month at the new Hope Works location. So you would be matched up for one month with an individual at the New Hope Works location. You would go down there every Sunday night at 6 p.m. and help them improve their English speaking skills by reading the Bible with them. Um, the curriculum's all set out. There's very little preparation time. It's probably 15 minutes worth of training. There's no special skills required. You don't have to have any language skills. Anybody that speaks English um, can do this. Even Bill Ivey can do this. Um, he'd be great, I think. Um, so it's Sunday nights, 6 p.m., one hour. We're asking for a month commitment. Um, it's at the new Hope Works location on summer. You know where homes, homes in summer interact or intersect. Um, is that everything? Y'all got any questions? You can email me, um, or the leaders, the re people in here should have an email or whatever. 
Um, and there's announcements in there that if you're interested in doing it, um, that's the way to um, to get in touch and volunteer or whatever. Has anybody got any questions? No, Grant, you don't have any. Kevin, do you mind starting over? I forgot everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's okay, but I appreciate the endorsement as a sex guru. That was, that was awesome. All right. Good luck. Thanks. Sorry. Yep. Uh, friends speak. It's an awesome thing. We actually, uh, I did it for a while and we, um, built a relationship with a man from Vietnam and, um, we got to see his naturalization ceremony, which was incredible. Uh, well, I didn't get to see it, but Melissa and the kids did. Um, and we've gotten to interact with him just in a personal relationship for several years now. So that's an endorsement for friends speak. Um, okay. Where was I? Let's see. Tennessee Vols, yeah, which unfortunately their coaching situation has been uh, subpar lately. But it's um, an attitude. Yeah, right. That's an attitude or a belief, right? So then we go one step further down, okay? And, and at the core of who we are is really this is the stuff that we protect. We keep it from letting everyone see it all the time, but it does influence the other layers. So these are your core dreams, your desires. What are the things that you, that you want out of life? What are the things you want for your marriage? What are the things that you want uh, to accomplish, right? Those are the things that are your dreams, your desires. What is it that you long for? What is it you feel like you're missing? Are you able to communicate that? That's a hard thing to talk about, okay? And then also uh, your wounds or your core pain. So what's happened to you in your life that's been painful? What are the things that stick with you? That when you think about, if I said, what's the thing that's hurt you the most in your relationship? That's the thing you go to, okay? Wounds and pain. And I... You know, I think when you talk about your core wound and your core pain, um, Bill, I think you talked about this a little bit last week. Just you touched on it basically. But what's important is to remember that, um, you know, in your core wound or your core pain, that's usually going to be something that you can't just work out by wishing it away or wanting it to, to kind of slide into your subconscious because that's where it will, it will wreak the most havoc is in your subconscious when it just stays there and you try to avoid it okay that's why it's good to see a counselor it's good to uh, talk about these things with your spouse and process how did this affect you those things sit in your subconscious and they impact the way that you experience the world okay and finally your fears or we might say your anxieties you ever let fear hold you back? Does fear ever prevent you from doing the things that you want to do in life? What is the, what's at the core of that? When I worked for a state agency, we took Medicaid funds. I've probably talked about this before. And um, there was a point at which we thought that, you know, somebody might have, or, well, somebody did file a complaint against us, which was a disgruntled employee. And, you know, I spent a lot of time afraid about what was going to happen as an outcome. It was like this black hole that I couldn't ever resolve, right? But I couldn't talk about that with people because it's like, hey, man, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm really worried about this Medicaid investigation. Does anybody lead a conversation off like that? No, no, right? But, 
But we carry those things and they're running in the background all the time and they're impacting us. And they're impacting what people are seeing in our attitudes and our beliefs and our behaviors and the expression of who we are. During that time of my life, I was very anxious. Do you know what anxiety looks like for me? Aggression, frustration. I was very combative. And I, and I would find myself in a relationship being, going head to head with somebody and being like, why am I at, why, what's going on here? And I realized that it's that fear that's running in the background. So these things are at the core of who we are. So the question is, how do we typically experience the world? Well, we typically go, we, we typically go from the outside in, right? Like we let people in one layer at a time. But in order to get to deeper relationships, we have to go this way. It has to come from what's at the core. Now, I'm not saying, again, I want to qualify this and say that you don't have to do this with every person in your life. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it's important that you understand this diagram because it lays the foundation for family and what we experience in our families. Okay? So... Um, where this comes from in scripture is there is, uh, when you look at, uh, the story of Adam and Eve and in Genesis two, they're naked and they're unashamed at the end of Genesis two, right? At the end of Genesis three, the fall happens. Something terrible is broken. And now there's separation between Adam and Eve and there's separation between Adam and Eve and God. And what does it say? They're not naked and unashamed anymore. They are clothed. They've made clothes for themselves. And they're hiding. Okay? And I think that that is a metaphor for the human condition today. We are clothed and we are hiding from each other. Now, where is the first place that you experience relationship? I heard somebody whisper it. Huh? Your family, your mom, your dad, eventually your siblings. But that is the first place that we begin to experience what this looks like or maybe doesn't look like. And that's, the, that's really the conversation I want to have with you this morning. I want you to reflect as I'm talking to you about have you experienced this before in your family. And I'm going to share with you a lot of different aspects of that. But I want you to kind of have that running in the background. Was my experience this? If not, what was it? Did you have experiences where it was okay to express this? To go to these deeper places? This conversation can be really easy or difficult depending on what your family situation was. But families are the first place that we experience this. Some of my earliest memories, my brothers had me convinced that I was an alien. <laughs> Literally, they told me, you were not born of this family, you weren't even born of this world. <laughs> 
I was convinced. And they would say things like, look, you don't even look like us. Which, if you saw a picture of the three of us today, I mean, you couldn't tell us apart. We look like triplets. But they would say, you don't even look like us. You got blonde hair, we've got brown hair. You're shorter than us, even though I was four years younger than both of them. I was convinced that I was an alien. I really was. At one point, my brothers, we lived in El Paso, Texas. We had a swimming pool in the backyard. And my brothers uh, had this brilliant idea. They said, Kevin, do you know what skinny dipping is? I'm in second grade. I'm like, no. They're like, it's so awesome. It's the coolest thing ever. What do you do? You take off your swim shorts and you jump in the water naked. Well, I'm the youngest. I'm, I want to impress everybody. So what do I do? I strip down and I jump in the water. And they start laughing. They take my shorts. They run inside. They lock the door. And then there was a neighbor girl that lived next door to us. They go and they call her and tell her to look over the fence. <laughs> there I am, second grade Kevin, just swimming around naked in the water, right? Family frames the way that we experience relationships. I was, even though I was the hated brother, I was the beloved child. My, my parents, you know, I was the apple of their eye. One time my mom was, uh, we were in a restaurant together and she said, Kevin, if you stand up in the booth again, I'm going to spank you. And I did it again because I always did it again, right? And she said, Kevin, if you do it again, she gave me a, a second chance. If you do it again, I'm going to spank you. There's this old couple watching what's going on. And my mom takes me into the bathroom and she, she always had a ping pong paddle in her uh, <laughs> purse, by the way. And she was not a table tennis player. So she pulled that ping pong paddle out and she swatted me a couple times in the bathroom. We came back out, except I drug my leg <laughs> all the way back to the table. And my mom said that she was sure that DCS was going to be called by that old couple that was watching us. The, the way that we relate to each other is learned by our early experiences with our family, right? Who we are, who we pretend to be, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Now, this morning we're going to focus a little more on parents than we are siblings, but some of this stuff will apply to siblings as well. But what's important is, as you reflect on your early memories, that you realize, this is how I learned to live in the world of relationship with other people. And that's what's really important to us, okay? Um, Family is the first place that we get a picture either of what our relationships should look like or sometimes shouldn't look like and it's unfortunate when it ends up on the side of what they shouldn't look like but there's hope there so let's open to um, Luke 15 this is going to be our our uh, our example of what we're drawing from when we talk about family <clears throat> this is uh, Luke 15, starting in verse 17 through um, the end of the chapter. If, is there somebody that would read that for us? 
Okay. 15, 17 through the end. Yeah. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, never disobeyed your orders, yet you have never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay, so we're familiar with this story. This is the story of the prodigal son. Um, this is the section of the prodigal son where he's hit rock bottom and he decides he's going to go back home. Okay, there's a couple things that I want to point out about the relationship of the father. The experience that the father and the son have together. If you look at verse 18, it says this. This is the, the son thinking, I will, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. So the first thing we see is that the son, though he knew he'd messed up big time, there's this underlying understanding that he at least could go back home. Now, he might have to go back home under a different context because he feels like he's done so much wrong that he, he just doesn't even deserve to be considered a son anymore. But he's not afraid to return. Okay? So that's the first thing. There is a foundation where it's safe for him to go home. The second thing that we see in verses 20 and also 22 through 24 is that he is celebrated when he returns. They kill the fattened calf. They put a robe on him. He's welcomed home, right? Now remember, this is Jesus talking about what the kingdom of God is like, referring to God as a father and how he interacts with his people. Now there are a lot of theological things that we could pull out of this, but what's important is that the relationship of the father is one where it's safe to go home 
And when you get there, you are welcome. Despite what you feel, despite how bad you feel about yourself, you are welcomed and you know it. There's a celebration. This is the picture of family that Jesus gives us. And this is important. I'm going to add one more layer to this. I wish this string wasn't here. I wish I could use the right marker too. Okay. This happens between two people. We're calling this intimacy, right? This outer layer is what I call belonging. You cannot have a relationship, a core-to-core relationship between two people without belonging. That's why when I say not everybody gets to have the gift of what's going on internally in your core is because it may not you those relationships may not be seated within the context of belonging. But when we belong, when we feel like we belong, this happens. I get to know you and you get to know me. Think about how many of your relationships have that. And think about how many don't. How many of those relationships would you say where you experience this belonging are family? Did you experience that growing up? Some of you could say, absolutely, without a doubt. I knew that I belonged. I knew I had a place. Others might say, no, I didn't have that experience. So what is belonging? I have to find some place to write this. What does it mean to belong? I would argue that there are a number of things that are included in this. And we see this by the story of the prodigal son. And we see this in Scripture elsewhere, too. First, belonging means emotional safety. Is the relationship safe? So, what do I mean by emotional safety? I mean... There's freedom, freedom to express your emotions. How do you feel? Is it safe to express good and bad emotions? Is it safe to express the wounds that you've experienced, the pain? We're talking about, is this stuff safe to talk about? Now, you can think about this both ways. 
in your family, was it safe for you to do that initially? And now, in your own family, it, are you creating a place where it's safe to do that? But are we, are we creating a place where there's emotional safety? Were you able to express your doubts about faith? Doubts about yourself? Or were those off limits? Emotional safety is characterized by freedom. Freedom in these areas, okay? Here's the second one. Was it okay to fail in your family? Was there freedom to fail? Because the safety to fail is one of the most important things that we can give in a relationship that creates belonging. My daughter, Nora, our oldest daughter, she in kinder was it was kindergarten when she forgot her backpack? Kindergarten or first grade? You don't want me to tell this story, do you? She forgot her backpack. Now, Melissa had asked her, she's walking out the door, Nora, did you get your backpack? And she said, yes, right? So she gets to school and she had some little kindergarten homework assignment. You know, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And she starts bawling because she's left her backpack home and she's begging us. She's begging Melissa, please go get my backpack. Please go get my backpack. And so... Melissa sends her on into school and she calls me. She's like, what should I do? Should we, should we get the backpack or not? And I'm like, I'm like, this is our, this is a parenting moment for us, right? This is an opportunity for a lesson learned. And so Melissa and I decided we're not going to get the backpack. Why? Because one, it's okay that she made a mistake, right? But two, we don't have to rescue her from that mistake. And if we do, we're going to keep rescuing her. So this is an opportunity for Nora to realize that she can make a mistake, but she can also learn from that mistake, right? So guess what Nora has never forgotten again to this day? Her backpack. That's right. She, I mean, she probably checks three or four times before she leaves the house <laughs> that she has that backpack. Everything in it. And, and everything in it. That's right. So... The point that I'm making, though, is we didn't say, what's wrong with you? What? Why? You forgot your backpack? No. She was five years old. Kindergarten. It's okay. It's okay to fail. Now, have we messed up in other ways where we have not made it okay to fail? For sure. We've made a lot of mistakes. But that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Is it safe to fail? Was it safe to fail? Do you remember times in your life when you made a mistake, and man, you heard about it, that takes away from our sense of belonging. The, the things, there's two things that families can do for us, okay? The first one is families can tell us who we are from the beginning. This is, uh, this is seen in like family stories that we talk about. So 
Um, I'll give you an example from my own life. When I was when I was born, I was born about two weeks early, and they didn't know it, but I still had fluid on my lungs. So I was in the little I don't know what do you call it the place where the window is, and they're like peeking in at you. Everybody's looking at you. Nursery. The nursery. That yeah. So I'm in the nursery. That was a really hard word to find. Um, so I'm like, they're peeking in the nursery. It's my, my dad and my grandmother are looking at me. And all of a sudden, I start turning blue. And so my dad and, and my grandmother are banging on the window to get the nurse's attention because she was looking at something else. So she finally turns around, and she looks at me, and she's like, you know, freaked out. And she motions for my dad to come into the room. And she says, I want you to rub Kevin's hands and his feet and talk to him while I do CPR. And so she does CPR and she revives me. And she's like, this is a miracle. I've never seen anything like this before. It shouldn't have happened. Now, my parents have used that as a story my whole life to say, Kevin, God has a purpose for you. God intends something good for your life. He rescued you as a baby so that he can use you for his will. They called out something in me before I could even know anything about myself. And that's like putting a stamp on your life and saying, this is something about who you are that runs from beginning to end. That's unchanging. Now, I've also worked with people whose parents told them a different story. You're worthless. You're not going to amount to anything. There's nothing good about you. In essence, you're not worth the love that others might want to try and give you. That's a whole different kind of message, right? And that breaks down our sense of belonging. And guess what? If it remains unresolved and in the subconscious of our lives, it keeps damaging our relationships over and over and over again. Why? Because until we resolve that, we're not okay. There's a broken part of us that we can't live from to give to somebody else. And we begin to create a sense that there is no belonging in a relationship if we're not careful. So family tells us who we are from the beginning, and that may be good or bad. Another thing that family does is family frames the rules and expectations of our home and of relationship. These are either overt, meaning they're stated. We know what these rules of relationship are, right? The rules of our home. So there, an example of this in my home was we, uh, we knew that we were going to go to church on Sunday mornings, right? Like that was something my parents said, hey, this is a value that we have. It was it was understood that it was going to happen. Other rules might include things that you tell your kids every day. Don't talk to strangers. Um, you have 30 minutes on, on your screen for today. 
and so on and so forth. Now, there are, there are overt ones that are stated, and there are covert rules, and these are the ones that have the most power in our families. Covert rules are, I'll give you an example. Growing up, there was a covert rule in my home that you don't watch TV on Sunday mornings before church, okay? Now, that didn't mean you couldn't watch TV on Sundays. You just didn't watch TV on Sunday mornings before church. This was an unspoken rule that, that ran through our home until I was 10 years old. It stayed unspoken until I was 10 years old. And I finally said, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to turn on the TV and I'm going to see what happens. I'm 10 years old. This is crazy for a 10 year old to think this way. And so I turned on the TV and I remember my dad coming out there looking at us, looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm watching TV. We don't watch TV on Sunday mornings. Really? It was an unspoken rule that ran under the current of our family for a long time until it became a spoken one. There are ones that are far more damaging and important than that. So I want you to think about this. In your family, was an unspoken rule that failure, failure is not an option? Or that we don't let people know our business? Or that you can, as long as you look okay, it doesn't matter what's going on inside. You better keep up appearances. Don't tell people what dad does. Don't tell people that dad drinks. If you tell people that dad drinks, there's going to be trouble. What, are, what were the unspoken rules in your family? Those frame relationships. And you know what happens? Unfortunately, we end up in some ways, even though the behaviors may look differently, we sometimes take the same rules of relationship and we recreate them in our own families as we're building these kind of rules and expectations of relationship. And we don't even realize we're doing it. You know why? Because it's comfortable. Not because we like it, but because we're used to it. And we may put different behaviors. You, it may not have been okay for you to tell the dad was drinking, and you may not drink, right? But for some reason, maybe your, your kids think it's not okay to talk about this other thing that you think is running secret in the background. Those rules translate into rules of our home unless we identify them and we're very intentional to change them. Do you see, do you, are you starting to get a picture of this idea of belonging and how our family frames the nature of our relationships? When we feel like we're an outsider, we feel like we're going to mess up the family system, we feel like we're going to do something that's going to break the family rules, or we break the family rules 
we feel like we don't belong anymore. And we carry this weight that makes us say, you know what? If it wasn't safe in my family, I'm just not sure it's safe. I'm not sure I can belong. And that damages every single relationship we engage in. Intimacy is a really hard thing. And it starts with our family. It begins there. Now, all of those things are going to impact our ability to be known and to know another person. And our families sometimes give us, I mean, our families obviously give us good things. But it's like, what do we do with this information? Right? I'm sitting there thinking last night as I'm kind of wrapping up this talk. And I'm like, what, if, what would I tell people if they said, if somebody raised their hand right now and they're like, look, you've, you've said a lot of things and now I see a lot of terrible things that happen in my family. Thanks a lot. What am I supposed to do with that information? I would say, Scripture says, honor your father and mother. What does honor look like? Honor looks like sometimes you confront things because you've got to find healing, and sometimes it means you're going to find healing in other ways other than confronting it. The only thing that I can tell you is that if you've experienced things in your own family of origin that damage your sense of belonging in relationships, you need to deal with it. I don't know if you need to deal with it directly. That's something that we'd have to talk about later. But it does need to be dealt with because you've got to be able to carry that into your relationships with your children and with your spouse now so that you can be different. I think that understanding these things, there are people that would disagree with me, but I think that understanding these things is part of what taking up your cross daily and following me looks like. We take these things that are wounds and pain and hurt and struggle and shame, we take them straight to the cross and we sacrifice it there by laying it at the feet of Jesus and we're resurrected to new life to be a place of belonging for our families. That's the road that we walk, the, the hard, gut-wrenching, challenging road that we walk. We're resurrected to new life to be that place of belonging for the people that we love the most. So how does this translate into what you do today, into your family? If you have children in your spousal relationships, or even as you move forward in your family relationships or friendships within the church that is your new family. What does this mean? Our oldest daughter, Nora, became convinced that her head was going to fall off. I'm serious. She really did think that her head was going to fall off. Like, she was going to be... And so, the first time she said, Dad, I'm scared my head's going to fall off, I was like, you can laugh, it's funny. <laughs> I, I was like, what? She, she said, Dad, I'm scared my head's going to fall off. And I'm like, you, like, like you think you're going to be walking down the road and your head's just going to roll off your body. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Six years old. I'm like, this is, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> no, nobody, you know, 
I don't know what to do with that. My head's going to fall off. It's so irrational. What do you do with it? So guess what we did? We went to Nora, your head is attached to your body with skin and ligaments and muscles and, and bones. It doesn't just fall off. In fact, I've never heard of that happening in the history of man. Somebody's head rolling off their body unless something happened to them. Okay? People's heads don't just fall off. It doesn't happen. Guess what Nora's response was? Every night, I'm scared my head's going to fall off. Even though it didn't make rational sense, she was terrified. She was literally terrified that her head was going to fall off. What it took was not us coming back at her and saying, and, and this is really where it would have come from with me. This is a, a broken place in me. I would have wanted her to stop doing that because it took time at night to have to talk her down from that ledge, right? Like it was inconvenient for me because I had so many other things that I had to do. Do you know what Nora needed me to do? Do you know what we actually did that ended up changing this? We would lay with her at night, wrap our arms around her and say, I know you're scared and I'm right here with you. And we gave her a place where it was safe to be afraid. We did it wrong in the beginning. We tried to convince her of something different. But when we made it safe for her to be afraid, she began to work through it on her, on her own. And you know what that did? That added to her sense of belonging in this family. It, if I'm trying to tell her, you need to quit thinking that way. All of a sudden, this thing that she can't get out of her head makes her feel like she doesn't belong with us. That people that are afraid of their heads falling off are not Shelby's. They're somebody else. They're an alien that doesn't belong in our family. But when you wrap your arms around them and you say, you know what, it's okay. Sometimes I get scared too. That's a place of belonging. So what do we do? I know we're out of time. One minute, I'm going to give you a shotgun of things here. Let your kids fail. Let your spouse fail and be okay with it. Wrap your arms around them when they do. Make it safe to fail. And share your wounds with each other. Share your pain with your kids. Guys, have your children ever seen you cry? Have they? Now, okay, remember, I'm a counselor, and just the other day, one of my kids said, Dad, I've never seen you cry. I was blown away. I was like, what? I am in touch with my emotions. I am a sensitive man. Melissa tells me that all the time. I, I cry. I cried two nights ago when we were watching that movie, Same Kind of Different as Me. We're both weeping in the chairs. Don't watch it. It'll make you, it'll ruin you. Um, share your emotions with your kids. Let them see it. Why? Because if you don't show that it's safe to show it first, they will not feel safe to show it later on when they have control over it. Let it be safe to show, their, uh, to show your emotions. Share with them your wounds to the degree that it's, it's appropriate. Talk about how you've been hurt by people. They'll talk about how they've been hurt if you do. Make it okay. I want, you, I want to end with this. 
I want you to ask yourself this question. If I was in relationship with somebody that treated me the way that I treat my kids, what would I think about that relationship? What, how would I feel? Would I want to run from that relationship? Or would I feel safe and at home? Would I feel a sense of belonging? Now, I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh, we should just pamper our kids and everybody, you know, we're all okay, you're okay, you can do whatever you want. No, I'm not saying that. There's definitely boundaries and consequences and discipline that have to happen. But there is a way in which we communicate that to them that changes how they feel and their sense of belonging in our home. Ask yourself that question. Be brave enough to ask your spouse what they think. I promise if you do, you'll find a place where you can grow. Okay, so I want to thank Kevin for doing a wonderful job. He had a lot more to get through, he told me, but uh, that's just the way it is. And so we got about 40, 50 minutes on a Sunday and I uh, wish there was time to hear more. Of course, Kevin does this professionally, so you can always seek out his professional help uh, with sessions. And that's not why he's doing this class, uh, but certainly his uh, talents are obvious and he is available if that's something that uh, you think that you need. Uh, next week, we'll be back with our final in our series on intimacy. And I believe Bill might be teaching that. It's going to be on the breakdown of relationships and what, what happens to intimacy when those relationships fail. Uh, after that, we're going to move into a worldviews series, I think five or six weeks on different worldviews that compete with Christianity. And so things on uh, Islam and things on nihilism and naturalism and I believe even Buddhism um, and some other things there. So I'm really excited about that personally. Uh, and we're going to be using the book. I believe it's called The Worldview Next Door. Um, so you can pick that up and check that out. And I uh, just hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh, definitely if you're in Memphis on Sundays at 10, come to the Bridge Builders class and learn with us. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.